got Triple B's in the building. Big baller brand supports the NBA buzz and the inside buzz. We with you, man. Triple B style. Hi, I'm Mikey Domagala, and welcome to episode 19 of Inside Buzz. On this episode, I have Rashad Phillips, aka Yoda. He isn't just spot on on social media with his college and NBA predictions as he's a scout and analyst, but his basketball career goes back to the 1990s as one of the smallest and most recognizable high school players in the nation. Phillips was a four-year starter at Ferndale High School in Michigan, where standing between four foot eight and five foot seven, he dominated the competition and made a name for himself. In 1996, he was invited to the Magic Round Ball Classic, a high school all-star game with kids from the East and the West, including Kobe Bryant, who Phillips outdueled to win the MVP. Phillips then played four years at Detroit Mercy, where he led them to two NCAA tournament trips while being named Conference Player of the Year twice and Defensive Player of the Year once. He was only 5'9". In 2001, he went undrafted in the NBA draft, but then he played 10 years overseas in numerous countries and even spent time in the NBA G League. Kobe Bryant once called him the greatest undrafted player in basketball history. His career today, he's an NBA and college scout, a basketball trainer, and he's a host of a few shows on social media where he's landed huge interviews with legends like Chris Webber, Isaiah Thomas, and Chauncey Billups. All right, Rashad, welcome to episode 19 of Inside Buzz with Mikey Domagala. It's a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I've been following your material for quite some time, and I, and I really love what you're doing. Thank you so much. My, how we got connected, I posted a Chris Paul quote from you about how we should be in the MVP race, and then you know, you followed and you're an active follower. So, you know, I really appreciate it. Thank you for supporting me and quoting me on that as well. So for the viewers who may not know, you go by the nickname Yoda. How did you get that nickname? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a funny story. So um, I had my own training academy in the state of Michigan when I lived there for about 10 years, where we were the top training academy in the state of Michigan. Kids were going to college, division one, division two, Division three, high school teams, all staters all over the place throughout the state. And um, a high school coach uh, by the name of Lance Bayless, um, he came up to me one day as I was training his son. He's like, you know what? You remind me of Yoda. And I was like, why? And he was like, because it's like you're just always giving wisdom and you have these kids are like your Jedi and you're like the master Jedi. So he gave me this name like 10 years ago and it just kind of stuck with me. And I was like, you know what? I'm a Star Wars guy. I love Yoda. And um, I've kind of just accepted it and, and, and ran with it. I love it. Everybody loves it. And you could see, you know, uh, you with a picture of Yoda as your profile picture on social media, uh, on Twitter, at RP3Natural on Instagram at Richard Phillips 2319. So, you know, you're very, very well known for making on-point predictions on social media. You know, I saw you posted recently about John ja Morant, and you predicted he becomes a star in high school. Lou Dort, you mentioned, and even uh, um, Bam Adebayo on the Heat. How, how good are you at these predictions, and how do you have the eye for always being so spot on? You know, it's, it's rare. I, I think this goes back to my childhood. I was, I was born in the game of basketball. My father um, had a basketball program named Reach um, back in 1979. And as a kid, my father used to always make me write scouting reports 
He would take me to basketball games and he would make me write scouting reports and say, I want you to pick out the best players from each team and write a scouting report. So he was giving me like this basketball type of homework. So I've been, I've developed that type of craft over the years. And it starts from early on as seven, eight years old of writing scouting reports. And now I just have fun with it. Um, I love evaluating. I'm not always right. Uh, I try to pride myself on just being accurate when I'm wrong. I have no problem admitting that, but I do, um, you know, it's, it's exciting and fun to be able to point out guys like Bam Adebayo, John Morant, Lou Dort, Trey Young. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Um, it's just exciting for me. Something I have fun with. All right, Rashad, I'm going to put you on the spot. Let's look back a couple months from now, a couple years from now. Name yeah. me a very underlooked player in this upcoming draft and a player who you think will be a bust. First question, I'm going to answer that, okay? And the, the kid that I actually love, I mean, there's a few that I really love, but R.J. Hampton, as you can see, I got on his hat here. Um, I think this kid is going to be terrific over time. Look, this kid was so dominant and so good in high school that he reclassified up to go pro. A lot of times high school kids reclassify down. He reclassified up to go pro, went overseas, fit in a role, played against grown men. I didn't even care about his stats. It was the fact that the maturity level of R.J. Hampton to take on that type of role to endure that type of adversity at such a, such a young age and now to see him ready for the draft, I think R.J. Hampton will be terrific in years to come, but let's give him time. As far as your second question, I never talk about the B word because I don't want kids. I don't, I'm not in the game to say a kid is going to be the B word. I want all of them to be great, even though that's impossible. Um, so I continue to support all the prospects, but there are some kids that I'm kind of questionable about. But again, I don't want any of them to be the B word. My respect 110% for that answer on the second one. And I saw you were with Penny Hardaway and Hampton a couple days or weeks ago. Talk to me about what you saw then. And is Penny become his mentor? Yeah, I got a chance to, you know, sit down with Penny and, and talk to him and just kind of pick his brain. And, and one thing about Penny Hardaway, he's such a basketball mind, such a basketball junkie, watching him uh, communicate with his team, watching him train RJ and just listening to his ideology of the game. It tells you and it takes you in a deeper look of how special he was as a player and how he is as a mentor now. So anytime you can receive information from a player like a Penny Hardaway, who has uh, is an all-time great, um, I think it's a feather in your cap. And again, another reason why I believe in R.J. Hampton is because he's done a great job of surrounding himself with the right people. He's a humble kid. And Penny Hardaway, you can never go wrong with that. The top three picks in the NBA draft, Minnesota, Golden State and Charlotte. Who goes where? Let me know your top three. Melo goes number one to Minnesota. Um, Golden State takes James Wiseman if they don't trade that pick. And Charlotte takes Anthony Edwards at three. That's kind of how I see it. Um, I know a lot of people want Anthony Edwards to go number one to Minnesota, 
um, and they're using the – they already have D'Angelo Russell and all of that. But I, I just – you can't pass up on dynamics, and LaMelo Ball is dynamic. Not only that, just from a markability standpoint, I just believe that that kid um, is going to sell out arenas, jerseys. Um, I really don't like him going west, to be honest. I and would like him to go – and in a small market at that, too. Yeah, the going west is really going to be hard for LaMelo because there's so many great players already in teams in the west. I would prefer that he goes east um, because right now Trey Young is the best point guard in the east, which, um, you know, I support Trey Young. But I think LaMelo going over to the east of the NBA would give that some balance. You already got John Moran over in the west. You got Luka over in the west. So – if you get LaMelo over in the West, it's just like it's, it's an overload. Steph Curry's over there. Damian Lillard's over there. LeBron's over there. So I would like the East to balance out a little bit, but I don't know if that's going to happen. He's going to be tested early for sure, like you're saying with all those matchups. And to keep the focus on LaMelo, you know, we're both kind of connected to him. You know, you, you played uh, Detroit Mercy with his manager, Jermaine Jackson. and. Yeah. I go to LIU with Jermaine Jackson's son, Jermaine Jackson Jr. Small world. I know. It's crazy. You're um, making me feel old. You're making me feel old. Now. Come <laughs> on, man. What do you see from LaMelo? Do you see immediate impact? Do you see a future star, an all-star over the next couple of years? How is his first, say, five years going to go? I, I see a future star. I do. Um, I think this kid has been built for this moment. Um, he's a lot... He's, he's, he's different from his brother, Lonzo. He's more offensive-oriented. Um, he's more trigger-happy um, in a positive way. Like, he looks to score more. Um, he's more exciting. He has a little bit more for the more flash and flair of the game. And I think that that's what sells in the NBA. When we look at the dynamic point guards in the NBA, the Trey Youngs, the Steph Currys, the Kyrie Irvins, the Damian Lillards, those guys have a flair to them, and that's what makes people want to buy tickets. LaMelo Ball possesses flair. He's box office. So I, I do believe he has future star written all over him. It's going to be an uphill battle early, especially if he lands with a Minnesota, a team in the West that hasn't had a history of really being a good franchise from a winning standpoint. So, again, the things that he can do there – um, will be an uphill battle, but if he can check all of those boxes, they're superstardom all over him. I'm a New York Knicks fan here in New York. I wanted LaMelo so bad if we got that number one to three pick because of the box office, because of the broad, the Broadway type of player he could be. The Knicks got the eighth pick. I need you to bless me with a great prediction. Who are they taking? You guys don't get a good point guard here. I, I really believe that you're going to take uh, Halliburton uh, from Iowa State, who is more of a Lonzo Ball type of style player. Um, big, can defend a little bit, um, a good table setter. So I think you can, you can ride the ship with his, with his leadership and what he brings to the table. You got R.J. Barrett next to him. So I, I like that young unit. Um, you can take a swing for the fences for Cole Anthony. Cole brings a little bit more scoring punch. Um, he's a little erratic at times. He's up and down, but he's very exciting. He has some dynamics about him. Or you can go Killian Hayes, 
who's known for being a great ball screen guard, left-handed, great shift, um, good passer, um, and has some leadership qualities about him. So at that eighth spot, you're going to get a pretty decent player that can contribute right away. So as a Knicks fans, Knicks fans, let me tell you, don't worry. You're going to get a solid player. Oof. Sigh relief for that one. <laughs> you know, Rashad, I've been in the social media game since I'm 12. I started NBA Buzz 2012. Uh, 2.8 million followers. I pride myself and even how I got you on building relationships and, you know, making these relationships to help my journalism career in the future. Yeah. How did you get all of these relationships with Kendrick Perkins, Isaiah Thomas, Chris Weber, all these players who you're friendly with and interview all the time? You know, it's, it's, it's been great to watch you grow your platform. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to see where you're going to go with that and what the future holds for you. And you're getting off to a fantastic start. So I wanted to say that first and foremost. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. But secondly, for me, um, my playing career um, has really helped me get to the point where I am today. Um, I'm not here to really toot my own horn, but, you know, I was an All-American high school player. I was an All-American college player. I won a Naismith Award, and my jersey is retired in high school and college. So as a player, I was pretty good. And when you're good as a player, you kind of get the respect from other players because I am them. They are me. So they don't look at me as a media member. They look at me as one of them. Um, and on top of that, being able to navigate the media world um, in the form that I do is always um, having integrity, having honor, and always having a respect for the purity of the game and protecting the, the purity and the essence of the sport from these individual players. And I think that's why I've been able to maintain the relationships that I have with so many wonderful players. And I understand that point because look at Skip Bayless and the media fire he's in. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Skip Bayless, Dak Prescott yesterday, excuse me, you know, he put some slander on him about being depressed after his mother passed away, his brother committed suicide. Now, you've been on these big networks, ESPN, Fox Sports, Talking Hoops. Are these talking heads pressured to say these outlandish things to get more views? How does that all work? And what are your thoughts on that? We need more truth in sports, in my opinion, not slander. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I, I do believe that the, the, the large TV platforms has gotten away from the pure essence of the sport. These, these TV debate shows have really poisoned and conditioned people to turn against each other with players. And that's not what sports is about. And what Skip Bayless has built is, has, has been a conglomerate. He's done a terrific job of building a platform. But now that he has the platform and he has so many followers, he has to understand that your position is a position of responsibility now. It's not a position of being reckless. And what he said to Dak Prescott, I don't agree with I don't, I don't respect it. And it's deeper than that. Um, too many times the world has supported um, white media members to 
condemn black athletes on these large platforms. And I don't think that's fair to the, the followers. I don't think it's fair to the athletes, their families, and uh, in the organizations. It's okay to talk about an athlete in between the lines. If LeBron James has a bad game, he goes seven for 20, doesn't play well, it's okay to critique that. But what I have an issue with is that going outside the lines, uh, making it personal like Bayless did with Dak Prescott. It was nothing about football. It was something that he's been battling with outside of the lines and to watch a media member um, like Skip Bayless, who's at the top, um, I think we need to do a better job as people in not supporting that portion of those platforms. I'm a huge fan of like a guy like Colin Cowherd, who I really love because Colin critiques players within the lines. And that's what I love about sports media. I don't like to see guys condemning black athletes on a daily basis like LeBron James or what have you, because I've never seen uh, African-American uh, journalists or talking head like a Stephen A. Smith. I've never seen them create a platform of bashing and condemning a great white athlete. So we have to get rid of the double standard and just love the sport for what it is. We don't have to create these stories Let's address what's going on in between the lines, and that's what I'm about. Will we see Rashad Phillips as an NBA GM in the future? I've seen your peers talk all about it on social media. Oh, wow. That would be, um, I mean, that would be a phenomenal accomplishment. Um, I would love to be a part of an NBA franchise to, in some capacity in regards to the decision-making of drafting players and signing free agents and scouting and, and, and giving my expertise. Um, so I don't know what the future holds, but uh, I would definitely love to be a part of that one day. But in the meantime, I'll continue to stay um, pure to the game, um, give my analysis, uh, whether I'm right, wrong, or indifferent, always know that when I talk about the game of basketball, it's coming from a pure place. It's never coming from a place of evil, a place of malicious intent. It's always coming from a pure spot. So I said the Houston Rockets was going to beat the Lakers, and they're down 3-1, but it came from a pure place. It didn't come from, oh, I just don't like LeBron, or I don't like the Lakers. I just really thought Houston would be able to shoot the lights out and they have it so far. So that's kind of how I approach my sports media. But to answer your question, I would love to be a GM one day. Four foot eight high school starter as a freshman. You grow to five seven. You become one of the most well known high school players in the 1990s. Uh, that's got to be exciting. Um, how did it feel to be the smallest dude on the floor, averaging 25 a game? Would you piss all these big guys off? Yeah, you know, for me, I was just kind of. Uh, my dad and my mom done a, did a terrific job of, of providing me the resources to get to that point. Um, I was always a kid that was in a gym. I'm an old school gym rat. So when I was able to perform at the high level in high school um, and really slay the giants, as you would say, it was always satisfying for me because 
I was always told that I wouldn't be able to play the game because of my size. But there's one thing that you can never measure, Mike, and that's heart. heart. Can't measure it. Um, and I always felt that my heart was always bigger than the other nine guys that I was competing with um, on the court or the other five guys. So that was kind of a, a, a testament of my heart, my will, my dedication, and the thirst to be great at the game. You get invited to the 1996 Magic Round Ball Classic. You play in an all-star game of the high school players, Kobe Bryant, other future NBA stars in there. You win MVP, the young kid. How'd you do it, and what do you remember against playing in that game? It was a, a, a fantastic time for me because it was my moment to show the world what kind of basketball player I was. I was, I was the John Morant. I was the kid that was unranked, nobody knew about, that was playing, putting up numbers in this suburban school, and, and the, the, the naysayers were saying, oh, he, he can't do it at the highest level. So when I was presented that moment to play on the biggest stage in front of all these people against 19 of the best high school players in the country, I trained my whole life for that. I trained my whole life for that one moment. And there was no way that I was going to allow that opportunity to slip through my fingers. So I won MVP and I wasn't surprised because it was something that was instilled in me as a kid. When you get your opportunity, you take advantage of it. You may only get three opportunities in life and you better cash out on all of them. That was one opportunity for me that I didn't miss. I saw in a recent social media post, you know, back to Kobe, rest in peace to one of the greats. Uh, you know, you have a very close relationship with him. Um, I saw quote unquote in the caption, I'll tell the story one day, but not now. Can I at least get a hint of what that story may be? And if not, can you talk to me about other Kobe stories and your relationship over the years? I can't tell you that story right now, but um, Kobe meant so much to me outside of basketball. Um, once we developed a relationship um, after high school, um, we exchanged numbers right after the Magic Round Ball Classic, and he was like, make sure we stay in touch. And we would talk on the phone when he got drafted to the Lakers. And you can ask any of my college teammates, back in 1998, um, we had a game against Georgia State. The Lakers had just played the Bulls the night before, and Kobe had the windmill dunk against Jordan. They had to play the Hawks the next night. This is a true story. You can ask any of my college teammates. We end up staying in the same hotel with the Lakers that following day. So we get off the bus into our hotel and the Lakers are in the lobby. So all of my teammates are like, shot, introduce us to Kobe. Cause you know, Kobe's like larger than life figure. You know, Kobe sees me in the, in the lobby and he's like, Rashad pulls me over. And I'm like, man, my teammates want to meet you and all that. Call my teammates over. Kobe sat there with us and talked to us for about 25 minutes. And then we kind of went off to the side and kind of caught up with each other. But his friendship was always something that stuck with me. And he was one of those friends where 
I didn't have to talk to him every day. I can talk to Kobe once a year, and it's like we just catch up where we left off. That's the kind of friend he was to me. So um, I have tons and tons of stories about him, but I'll just save that for another day. And what were your initial thoughts on Kobe coming out to the media, calling you the small kid undrafted, the greatest undrafted player in basketball history? I was, I was speechless. Um, I, just, I just think that you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And I believe my first impression on Kobe in high school was something that always stuck with him. And if you look at the interview after the Magic Ron Ball Classic, you can YouTube it. He said, um, after they asked him a question, I think Dick Vitale asked him a question like, you know, how was today's game? And he was like, I need to go back home and work on my game because there's guys out here that I didn't know that was really good, like Rashad Phillips. He comes out here and wins the MVP. And it's a, it's, it's a test to all of us guys that are ranked we need to go back home and work on our games because there's guys out here like Rashad Phillips that are just as good that don't have the notoriety or the platform. So I think that impression stuck with Kobe throughout our friendship. And that's why until, you know, in, in, until his early demise, um, we will always remain friends. And I have a huge um, poster in front of me in my office with a picture of him I, I, and I, I look at him every single day um, because he was just a true friend and he's one of the greatest basketball players that we'll ever see. At the time of the round ball classic you're already committed to Detroit Mercy. Did you ever feel like you wanted to decommit and go into the draft because of all the noise that you were hearing and you know how people were respecting you after that game? Um, <clears throat> I didn't think I mean, I, I never thought about decommitting, um, but it was brought to me from numerous outlets that, you know, a bigger school started to call my dad um, and try to get that to happen. But my, my heart and my commitment was the University of Detroit because that was the school that, you know, recruited me when nobody else thought I could play at that level. So I just felt that it's not really about the school. It's about the player. I always believe no matter where I go, if it's University of Detroit, if it's Syracuse, if it's Wyoming, if it's Murray State, no matter what school it was, I was going to be the player that was going to be the difference maker. So I felt that me going to Detroit, I was still going to be a great player. Um, so I had total confidence in myself that I could go to college and be um, an All-American, and that was just what I built myself for. And at Detroit Mercy, two-time player of the year, one-time defensive player of the year, led them to the tournament twice. You had a great career. Then you play overseas. Now, all these years later, do you ever think back and go, and, and in the NBA G League, excuse me, do you ever think back and say, wow, I really wish I could have made the league? And was there something that got in the way of it? Actually, I, I, I don't look at, I don't look back and have any regrets. I don't. Um, maybe when I was younger, maybe when I was around your age, you know, a little older, you, 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 read back, you reflect and you go back on what happened. And for me, I gave everything that I had on the court. 
Um, and you have to look at it. At that time, when I was coming out of college, the NBA was totally different than what it is today. It wasn't spread and shoot threes and dance with the ball like it is today. It was a, it was a ground and pound, you know, back to the basket, throw the ball in the post, get out of the way. It was that type of league. So my style of player 25 years ago is the style of player that you guys celebrate today. But back then it was just, it was taboo to be five, nine and to average 25 points a game in college. Like that wasn't the norm. It's the norm now. So um, I don't think the NBA really wanted a five foot nine scoring point guard. And I, and I, I accepted that because I know the NBA would want a five, nine scoring guard today. It's just NBA professional sports is about trends. The NFL, they didn't like scrambling quarterbacks. And then you got Randall Cunningham and then Michael Vick and then Lamar Jackson, you know, it was, it was all pocket quarterbacks. And then they didn't like, you know, they didn't, they didn't like big receivers. And then Calvin Johnson came along and Terrell Owens came along and, you know, so professional sports is about trends. And sometimes as a player, you may miss that trend because you can be born in the wrong era. I just feel like I was born at the wrong time. After those years of playing overseas, was there a time where you had to really make a decision to retire and think into that future? Oh no, I can't play basketball anymore. I need to, you know, be successful in my post-basketball career. When was that time and what were the first steps taken? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I, I've, I've watched a lot of players post-career struggle and you, you go through a little bit of what I call sports depression where you've you've been conditioned accustomed to doing the same thing over and over for so long and now you have to come to a stop and do something else new and that's a struggle in itself um i came to that conclusion when my last year in saudi arabia um i was 30 and I won MVP my last year in Saudi Arabia. I led the league in scoring. I broke the scoring record. My team finished third place. And they offered me a three-year deal after that. So I was looking at a three-year deal. Uh, with, it was pretty lucrative, too. A three-year deal in Saudi Arabia. Or do I retire and start my own um, training company? And I decided that I had enough accolades, enough trophies. Um, my, my oldest daughter at the time, she was, you know, she was around three, four years old. It was time for me to transition into another stage of life. I had played basketball long enough. I had accomplished enough for my own satisfaction that I felt like it was time for me to start taking what I've done, my knowledge, and start injecting it injecting that in kids and allowing them to go after their dreams. So the transition wasn't a smooth transition because I did go through a little sports depression for about a year after I retired. Um, but once I got into my 
training and my business started to take off, um, everything from there just was, uh, it was just a blessing. And I see your banner behind you, Sports Talk 2319, your interview show. Tell me about that and talk to me about your interviews with Isaiah Thomas, Weber, Chauncey Billups, and other top-notch Hall of Fame players like that. Yeah, so once I got done with uh, my own training uh, business, which was Skill, Skills Unlimited, once I got done with that, I decided that I wanted to move to Florida. I, my, my father always taught me that you have to reinvent yourself every six to eight years. You have to reinvent yourself. You can't stay the same person. So I did 10 years of training. I decided to move my family to Orlando, Florida, and I wanted to start my media career. A lot of people don't know that I, I, I got my degree in communications, liberal arts in college. So it was time for me to really chase my media goals. Um, I always wanted to be a broadcaster, even before social media and all of that. It was what I always wanted to do. Um, so I called it Sports Talk 2319, uh, 2,319 points. So that's how many points I scored in college. That's where the number comes from. But it's also a numerical representation of overcoming, um, enduring, and persevering. So there's some hidden goal behind those numbers. And I wanted to create a platform where I was the voice of the unheard. Um, when you look at a lot of media platforms, the, the true essence, the organic stories still aren't being told the correct way. So what I wanted to do is reach out to guys like pound for pound great Isaiah Thomas and really take a deep dive into his real story of what made him generational, what made him great, what made him a two-time champion for the Detroit Pistons. It made me reach out to Chris Weber, who is one of the most dominant forces that we'll ever see. And I just felt like the stories about guys like that weren't being told organically and it wasn't coming from a pure sanctified place and that's why those guys like that and Chauncey Billups as well him being the the maybe the one of the greatest winners in professional sports what he's been able to do um, those are the guys that I like to talk about because I feel their stories wasn't told in an organic form and when i watch your clips on social media and even the interviews in full you get these guys talking talking when they might not tell other people that does it go back to the respect that they have for you as a player talking player to player instead of mikey domagala the media member <laughs> I, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a, it's a respect factor of player to player, but not just that. I think it's deeper than that. I think they understand what Sports Talk 2319 stands for. It stands for integrity and, and being pure. So anytime you're on a, a platform and you know the background, the essence of that background, then it's easier for you to really speak what you want to speak because a lot of times and I can say this from a, from an athlete when you're doing certain interviews of certain shows you kind of know the history of that platform so you may not say what you really want to say because you know that that platform may take something and maybe tie it up and then throw it out to their following and then it comes back like I didn't say it that way 
So players know that I'm completely transparent and they know that they can trust me with their most prized possessions, which is their stories. Because when you're telling stories of legends, you can't make mistakes. You got to get it right. Tell me about your relationship with Kendrick Perkins and the show that you host with Big Perk. And also, I want to hear your thoughts on how he's doing on TV. Perk is, uh, Perk is my brother, man. And me and him talk on the phone every day, every single day. And he's just, he's like that, that little brother that I, I never had, even though I have a little brother, but he's my little big brother, you know? And uh, he's just such a joy to be around, to talk to. He's such a genuine person. He's loyal to a default. It's who he is. Um, but Perk reached out to me a couple years ago, and it was funny how we actually connected. We connected through when I went on record after my interview with Kawhi Leonard. I went on record and said, Kawhi Leonard reminds me of Michael Jordan. I went on record on my platform and said that after I interviewed him, and said the Toronto Raptors are going to win the NBA championship because Kawhi Leonard reminds me of Michael Jordan. So Perkins went on TV and said that Kawhi reminded him of Michael Jordan. So a lot of my followers were going at him. No, so Rashad said that first, but Perk didn't get it from me. It was just kind of what he came up with too. So Perk being the, the great person that he is, he reaches out to me, calls me and was like, hey man, I think our eyes kind of see some of the same things and we just developed a relationship. And over time we created our own show, no agendas. And it's been fantastic. Um, secondly, um, he's been fantastic for TV. I believe he's a breath of fresh air. Um, he, he gives you, uh, that, that unfiltered side of sports, but he mixes it. He mixes it in with his knowledge. Um, he's a student of the game. Anytime he calls me, he's like, look, I'm watching film on this team, what you think? So I, I just think that he's, I think he's a, a must-see TV. Uh, he's a superstar in the making. Who's the face of the NBA in five years? Trey Young. Woo! Bold. Why? Why Bold. over a Luka Doncic or a Zion or any of these guys? Why would Zion be the face of the league, man? He only played 20 games. You can't, you guys... We got we to gotta stop crowning people before they earn it, you know? And, I, look, I love Zion. But, I, like, again, this is coming from a pure place. Like I said, we, we can't put crowns on people until they do something. And I, when I look at uh, Trey Young and what he brings to the table, you just look at a guy like Steph Curry. Like, Trey is a, 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 almost a common copy of Steph Curry, not on the court, but off the court. Off the court, it's all about markability. Like in order to be the face of something, a face of the company, a face of sports, you have to be marketable outside of the court. And that's where I believe Trey Young can be the face of the NBA because he's, he's relatable to kids. Kids will buy his shoes. He can shoot it. He's not a dunker. Um, he's exciting. He's small. That's all markability. Um, I do believe Luka has a chance to be the face of the league as well because Luka is a dominant player. He's playing in a great market in Dallas. He has a great coach in Carlisle, phenomenal owner in Mark Cuban. So I could see Luka and Trey Young both being the faces of the league. 
The league doesn't have to have one face. That's what we got to stop doing. The league can have multiple faces. Remember, it was Magic Johnson, it was Larry Bird, it was Michael Jordan, it was Isaiah Thomas. It was four faces. It still can be that. It doesn't have to be one player. And I would love to hear your thoughts on Giannis. Does he stay in Milwaukee or does he, you know, budge his way out? He stays in Milwaukee. He, he's he's going to stay at least one more year before he reevaluates what he's going to do. I don't think he finishes his career in Milwaukee, but I think he stays um, right now. Um, later, later on down the line, I think he'll reevaluate um, where he should go. But I think we're a little premature on his decisions. Let's allow it to play out. But he does another year in Milwaukee. And who are the two teams who reached the NBA Finals this year? And who is your winner? Wow, that's a tough question, man. Um, LeBron James looks phenomenal. Like, I, I watched him the other night. And here's why I don't, I don't tweet about LeBron a lot. I don't talk about him on social media a lot because LeBron already has enough cheerleaders, man. You know, like, I, I, and, and this is taking nothing away from him. He's, 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 the, he's the greatest player of this era. But he has enough people already waving pom-poms for him. But what I saw from him the other day against Houston, um, defensively, blocking shots, making tough shots, leading his team, it's really hard for me to go against LeBron right now. Um, I think the Toronto Raptors, ooh, that's going to be a tough one because Miami is really, really good. Um, I'm going to go, man, I'm going to go Lakers, Heat, in the finals. Um, I, think it, I think it'll be great. That Heat team, so deep. And if it wasn't for Adebayo, in my opinion, they wouldn't be where they're at right now, the player right. who you predicted. Yeah. And Rashad, just to finish, did I see you're coming out with another show? I think in November you said a new show was coming out. Yes, I'll be having my, uh, my first podcast, my, folk, my first solo podcast called One of One. Um, and from there, I'll be talking about all of sports, NFL, college basketball, WNBA, NBA. This is just me being, being more transparent, being more open, um, expanding my horizon, because I'm a sports guy. I'm not just a, a basketball person. Like, I, football is my first love. I was a great football player as a kid, played in high school, all of that. So I really love football. Um, and this has given me the opportunity to be able to talk not just NBA prospects and, and NBA, but allowing me to venture out and, and really expand my range from a sports standpoint. I'll be listening for sure. And when those takes come in and all your predictions, I'll be sure to post them. And ladies and gentlemen, that's episode 19 of Inside Buzz. I'm Mikey Domagala. That's Rashard Phillips. And you just watched another great episode of Inside Buzz. Thanks again, my man. Talk soon.